reading this morning comes to us from my colleague, the Reverend Joanna Fontaine Crawford, titled Every Third Thursday. It's one that might be familiar to you. I've used this certainly in the past several years ago. It's a lovely reading, and I feel it gets to one of the beautiful parts of a community such as ours, which is discovering our gifts, our passions, on this unique path that is Unitarian Universalism. And so she writes to us this morning, every third Tuesday, I'm a Buddhist. I empty my mind and lighten my heart and try to let go of attachments. Every other Friday, I'm a Christian. I look for the least of these and try to love God as my neighbor and my neighbor. The full moon of the month finds me Wiccan. I honor the dual nature of God and find my rhythm as maiden, mother, or crone. On the 15th of the month, I'm a humanist. I respect science, integrity of fellow humans, and all we have learned and have made. Every fourth Wednesday, I am Hindu. I take a breath and understand that what is unfinished now will remain for me to continue. Next life, perhaps. On alternate Fridays, I am Jewish. I tell my children, softly touching each head. And the Thursdays and the Mondays and the Saturdays and Sundays and all the days in between find me reading or listening or watching philosophers, Muslims, Mormons, Baha'i and more fill my heart, touch my soul and yet. The one thing that none of these provide to me is this certitude, they are the one. They lend me wisdom, sing to my heart, cause me to question, help me find answers, make me more me. And yet at the end of the day, every day, I am a Unitarian Universalist, in parcel and in pledge, and with all my heart and my soul, all my mind and all my strength, I honor this faith. I hold it close and it lets me run free. It's good to be together. This morning, I want to share a vision with you. Not that kind of vision, but a dream, a belief. I want to share the kind of church that I believe in. It's not a single location or place. It's not even some heavenly yearning that we hope for. It's a place I've seen glimpses of both in my life as a member of churches and now as a minister. Is it some far off ideal? Not really. It's as messy as anything else involving human beings. Is it the kingdom of God that the Christians speak of? It really depends on who you ask. It's as beloved as the community we currently inhabit, yet it is still something believed in, not yet realized. It pokes its head into reality here and there, and once we get a good look at it, it's something hoped for. It's something that makes the toil of congregational life worthwhile. It makes every disagreement, every potluck, every success, every failure, every departed beloved in person, every visitor and discontent former member, every pledge season, every congregational vote, every sermon, every Sunday service, every moment that is our congregational life. It makes it more than worthwhile. It makes it the very heartbeat of our community. Two weeks ago, we explored the question of why bother with a community such as ours? I wanna continue that conversation. I feel like we could fill up our entire month or months with digging into exactly why we exist as a community. And while I hope you continue to ask yourself the questions I posed two weeks ago, 
what good is a church? What good is a community such as ours? What good is our tradition and story? What good is hope and prophetic words and action? What good are our values and what good awaits? Keep asking them. But today I wanna to turn our attention toward how we live our mission and values. But more specifically, how we equip one another in both our individual lives and our communal life as a congregation. Now, going into this, I thought today would be about consumer culture in church run amok. Every time someone asks a minister, staff member, or fellow member to meet a never-ending and never-satisfying list of specific demands, there it is. The choir should sing Guns N' Roses while the minister prefers Tom Petty songs. Preach only on justice while someone over there wants preaching only on world religions. Why isn't XYZ a part of this church? Why doesn't this church do this or that? But this other church does this and their ministers wear t-shirts and jeans. What's the sermon topic on Sunday? That's how I determine if I'm going to attend. I could keep going. Those questions and demands are always asked, never recognizing that the very act of asking them abdicates one's own ministry in the life of our congregation. And every time I or another staff member or member of this congregation responds to that never-ending list with urgency, we allow that abdication of ministry to continue. So yes and no, this is about consumer culture, but it's about so much more. It's about your ministry. It's about my ministry with you. It's about who we choose to be as a church. And ultimately, it's about the church I believe in. You can choose to join me in that belief and dream if you like. This is the church I believe in. The church I believe in has very few traditional committees. Dare I say it, it might only have one committee what we call the board of directors here at UUCL. In this vision, they are more of a steering committee whose job entails, of course, being the fiduciary on behalf of the members. But their primary job is to be role models in service to our mission. Instead of deciding set in stone rules and policies, this steering committee provides boundaries where people are free to discover their ministry to flourish, to let their gifts come alive, to no longer let anyone in the church suffer the indignity of healthy ideas dying in the minutes of an endless network of committees. In this steering committee, they offer freedom, diversity, and choices. It's a committee that reminds us all of our mission, vision, and values. And in setting those boundaries, when a community has healthy boundaries, it's clear what is possible within them, what is allowed, where freedom and accountability meet. In the church I believe in, there's a clear difference between committees, which are commissioned decision-making bodies and self-organizing ministry teams, which encourage everyone to discover their spiritual gifts in community with our shared mission. And the best part, teams don't have to gather to figure out what they're going to do. The charge is clear, the mission is clear, and they are inherently self-destructing. They disband and reform and disband and reform and so on and so forth. There is no longer languishing in a committee for years. What's important is that there's a culture of freedom that allows teams to flourish. So the various workings of the church continue and yet avoid the doldrums of committee structure. The church I believe in does not have a top-down hierarchy. Instead, it's as if a wagon wheel was turned on its side and at the center, our values, mission, vision, and boundaries, we hold are right there. 
Each spoke is a person discovering their gifts, venturing out, fulfilling that mission, returning again, spokes upon spokes upon spokes, venturing onward and outward. If trickle-down economics is known to be ineffective, what makes anyone think that trickle-down church decision-making will work any better? The church I believe in is a permission-giving church. Just as that mythical steering committee models service and discovering one's own gifts, the staff do likewise. In the church I believe in, it's my job to equip you for your ministry and not to do it myself. And let me tell you, doing it myself as someone who is a type A personality would be so much easier. In the church I believe in, the director of religious exploration equips you to lead a life of learning and discovery, a life where you spend more time bringing our values out into the world around you, because a faith journey is something that is with you always. Let's equip one another for that, so that our children will grow in this faith and make a lifelong connection with Unitarian Universalism and yet live our values in everything they do. The church I believe in equips ensembles and bands and musicians and vocalists to share freely of their gifts, and that it is seen truly as a gift, not an obligation or a performance. Show me your faith by your song, and in a permission-giving church, there is freedom within our values for it all to come alive. A living tradition, just like it says on the cover of those hymnals, back in our sanctuary. The church I believe in doesn't have only one worship team, but more of a ritual laboratory where people discover what it means to express this unique faith, to express our lives ritually on Sunday morning or otherwise. In the church I believe in, if you had an idea that served our mission where you knew your gifts would come alive, you would be free to go forth and bring it to life without having to fill out paperwork or to wait for committees months and months down the road. I could keep going. The church that I believe in does not conform to the models we've inherited. Whether we like it or not, we're still very Protestant. And there's something beautiful to that too. I hope you've known that from my preaching and messages in the past, I believe in stewarding our history responsibly. But there's also some workings in it that are not serving us well. More bad news was recently released concerning the Protestant decline, the great Protestant decline in our nation. The data is as simple as this, and I won't get into specifics. You could look that up. More churches are closing than are opening. And the numbers are expected to increase, especially after this year of COVID. Add on top of that the news we've explored a couple weeks ago where less than half of the United States belongs to a religious community. All of that, and I am still looking at that news with hope. Perhaps in the face of decline, religious communities will dare to be different. They will dare to hear the real needs of the people joining them. It's never about the color of paint on the walls or hearing guns and roses instead of Tom Petty or never singing Christian hymns or only talking about issues of justice or this issue over there. It's never really about that. Behind any of those things is a deep yearning, and I believe this wholeheartedly, to discover one's gifts and be of service in the world, to be vulnerable and to love a community. I'm now six years and a handful of weeks into serving as your minister, so as this seventh year is in progress, I'm reviewing what we've done together. 
as a congregation. I do this every year around this time, but now as I enter a new phase of ministry with all of you, I look back and recognize that there is a lot of good we've accomplished together that brings this congregation alive. How lucky we've been during this pandemic. How resilient we've been and creative we've been with all of the building problems that have ailed us over the years. I also look at how the stalemate on justice work seems to have ended here, that this congregation is taking hold of its call to justice and bringing it to life. And there's so much more I could list. I look at all of that and I celebrate that. I begin with celebration because it would be so easy to just be negative. And yet in the midst of that celebration, my heart breaks a little thinking about it because I realize that there doesn't seem to have been a lot of celebration happening around our successes in these six years. And I wonder, do we fear our own successes as a congregation? Because it is through celebration and affirmation and recognition that we can also look at the areas of congregational life that just aren't working for us. What do we dread here? What do we fear? What have we spent our time on that has not equipped us to fulfill our mission as a community? Or more importantly, what has impeded our ability to get equipped to fulfill our mission in the first place? Do you believe you have a ministry in this congregation? Do you believe that you are called, whether by God or by our values or by your rational mind, don't get lost in the words, are you called to participate in the life of this place? I believe you are. Some of you already believe you are. And that's a great place to be. I could name the problem in blunter words. How are we wasting our limited time on this earth in this community? <laughs> if I were a Christian minister, that question wouldn't be so blunt. I'd ask how we aren't fulfilling our call to be the body of Christ or uh, bring about the kingdom of God. But as a Unitarian Universalist, it gets grittier than that. Lucky you. As a tradition that affirms the here and the now, it must be asked, knowing that all things are mortal, how are we using our time, our short lives, in service of love, justice, compassion, dignity, beloved community, in service of our values? It won't be spent in accepting and perpetuating a church that erects barriers and fails to give permission to its members to fulfill their own callings individually and in community. No, I, I believe our charge is to bid farewell to what is no longer serving religion in the United States. And we'll do so with care because some of those things have served us well in the past. I've spent more time in churches than I care to admit in my short life thus far. And I'm one of the people that loves committees. I love the quirkiness of church. And yet I love the people within the church more than any bylaw or policy. And in that love, I want Unitarian Universalists to thrive, to grow in their own ministry, to know they have a ministry in the first place. The world we are wading into is one of opportunity for religion. I, I believe that. Don't let the news be a cause for fear or alarm. It's an opportunity to allow ourselves to be courageous, bold, and showing the world that not all religion is worthy of demise. 
that we have a message that is, has indeed saved lives. And that is found in equipping people to live out our values, to live them boldly, to give freely of their gifts, to truly be life-affirming and life-giving. And so there it is, I, I spoke my truth. This place has transformed in unimaginable ways over these past six years, and I hope you've seen it. I hope you've felt it. I hope you take a moment to celebrate that because I believe those moments of success, and yes, even some blunders, and some of you have been around a lot longer in this community than I have, so you have more examples of successes and blunders than I will ever have. Amidst the messiness that is church, if you pause to take note, to celebrate the wondrous humanity of this common venture, then making a decision, and this is but one example, making a decision on fixing the siding on our sanctuary doesn't require as many meetings as it has been given. But figuring out how to equip ourselves, every one of us, for the work of our shared mission and values, that should be our primary goal and worth every single meeting that we have. We have an immense opportunity before us. After a year of maintaining our community, we are starting to regather with a mostly clean slate. What is the church we believe in? It doesn't have to be the same as my vision. That is just one example. But I wonder if we will seize this opportunity for our own success and thriving beyond numbers, but our own success and thriving right here in our heart. And so I leave you with a question. Go ahead and ask yourself this next time you think about this place. How am I going to use my gifts today to encourage someone else to help this community grow and mature tomorrow? May we all be so equipped and live into our mission and values, which is at the center of all we do. Blessed be. Amen. <laughs>